All right, all right, all right. Well, good morning again, everybody. We want to welcome you to Center Point Church, Kent Allen. If this is your first time here, if you're a guest or a visitor, again, we want to greet you and thank you for coming and hanging out with us. Um, on that back table should be something called a connection card. Take a connection card, fill that out, and give us as much information about yourself as you would like. We would love to connect and talk with you, um, pray with you, or just spend some time getting to know you a little bit more. So feel free to fill out those connection cards. Also on the back of those connection cards is an opportunity for you to maybe list out any prayer requests, anything you want us as leaders to pray for. We would be more than glad to pray for you. More information about joining the church, more information about being involved in one of our ministries or salvation. Uh, we have plenty of great information in there for you. Um, we are uh, finishing um, a series entitled Nehemiah, Moving Forward. Um, Nehemiah, uh, we've dealt with these 13 chapters over the last couple of weeks, and we've been looking at um, almost chapter by chapter each Sunday, uh, Nehemiah and his story, who Nehemiah is, what he is, and what he's doing. And so we get to... Um, the crescendo, the last chapter of this great uh, uh, chapter, great book of the Bible. And so um, I want us to pray. I got a lot of stuff to get through and only three hours to do it. Nobody in this area, yeah. Ravens played, so you guys are good. You have nothing to do on Sunday. You guys are fine. So what we're going to do is we're going to pray real quick, and then we're going to get right into our message for today. Um, Lord God, would you please bless our hearts and our minds to receive your word, to receive your truth, um, that you would take these next few moments, that you would uh, sanctify it, that you would cover it with your Holy Spirit um, and infuse it with your life and your energy. Let it show where we need to improve and where we need to increase and where we need to do better. Uh, show us through this word, Lord God, how we can be better servants of you. Father, we thank you and bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to thank all of those that have spoken during this time period that we've done this series. Uh, we had... Uh, Jeff Smith last week, and I heard he, you know, he tore down the house, and we got Jake all the way out there in the back, and he did awesome, and Marty did great. We had Pastor Rob come through as well and share with us, so I'm just grateful for um, each and every person that was able to take a few moments to share in God's Word. We're in Nehemiah um, chapter 13. Um, there's no verse for you guys to stand up and read, so an exercise for you guys today, thank God. Um, we got so many uh, things we got to roll through here that I figured I'll give you guys a little bit of a break. Um, this is probably... If I can be 100% honest, this is probably the most disheartening part of this passage of, um, of the book of Nehemiah. It is extremely frustrating. Um, it is extremely sad. And I, I didn't like it when I read it. Um, I don't like it now, but I'm still going to share it with you anyway. Um, Nehemiah chapter 13 is probably just a really, um, it's probably one of the second worst ways to end a book in all of the Bible. <laughs> you guys are like, really? That's your, that's your intro. That's my intro. Um, it's pretty rough. I think Jonah's probably maybe one of the other really rough ways to end um, a chapter, end a, end a book in the Bible. And this one is not the, the most fun, but I think it has so much information in it that I think we have to share because it does give a great reflection of us. And so I'm sorry for a horrible introduction, but hang in there. It's going to be a tough one. Um, here's what's going on. Nehemiah has been called by God to go do something tremendous and amazing that he had no expectation or no plan to do in the beginning. Um, he's, a, he's a wine taster for the king. The king, uh, God lays on his heart for Nehemiah to go do something great, to go help reestablish um, Jerusalem to help uh, build this wall and do all of these things. And so Nehemiah gets permission from the king to leave for a period of time. He goes back to Jerusalem. He grabs the people of Jerusalem. He grabs the leadership. Everybody's on board. They build this wall. They bring back infrastructure. People that have left are now coming back 
and Jerusalem, um, the city is starting to thrive again. There's life. They're talking about finances. They've made commitments and promises to God. And Nehemiah has done his job. He's helped restore a lot of things in this place, and he's got it in the right track. Remember, Nehemiah is on loan, so he has to go back to the king. He goes back to the king and spends time with the king, recognizing that everything is put in place and is going in the right direction. You guys with me so far? Nehemiah decides that he's going to come back and visit and see what's going on back in Jerusalem where he helped establish this wall and got the leadership in place and all these things happen. So he's going back. He's excited. He's looking forward to see what's going to happen. And this is where chapter 13 starts and drops. Nehemiah is a leader, whether he wants to admit it or not. God has called him to be a leader and he has done something great. He has emplaced people to be leaders. He has empowered people to be leaders. He has taught the people of Israel that you all are leaders because you are followers of God. And because you are God's people, you have a special call to lead as well. Um, scripture tells us in the New Testament, and I believe 1 Peter 2, 9, it says that you all are a royal priesthood, that if you've given your life to Christ, that you are his royal priesthood. You share his word through the actions of who you are. You are leadership under God's calling. Are you guys with me? Go look it up in the Bible. It's in there. Um, 2 Corinthians 5, 20 tells us that we are also the ambassadors of God, that we walk around, and in our actions, in our breathing, in our talking, we are making a plea for the Lord in the case of the Lord that we should have people accept him by the fact that we are his ambassadors. We are the representation of Christ. And so who we are and what we do shows off who God is. And that principle in the New Testament is all the way through the Old Testament that God said that these people of Israel, they are what? A chosen people, that they're a called generation, that there are a few people that God has chosen and set aside that are his Israelites, his special people that represent God and they themselves and how they act and how they move and how they do and how they process and how they worship as an example of who everybody else should worship and who the true God is. And so Nehemiah comes back as a leader to look at the things that are in place and he shows us three critical things that leadership isn't doing right, doesn't do right, and should have done right. You guys with me? What they didn't do right, what they didn't and put in place right, and what they should do right. Here's the first point. We got lots of scriptures, so just hang in there with me. Leaders, number one, uh, verses 4 through 5 and 10 through 11 reads like this. Eliashib, the priest, who had been appointed as supervisor of the storerooms of the temple of our God, and who was also a relative of Tobiah, had converted a large storage room and placed it in Tobiah's disposal. I also discovered that the Levites had not been given their prescribed portions of food. So they and the singers who were to conduct worship service had all returned to work their fields. I immediately confronted the leaders and demanded why has the temple of God been neglected? Two things are happening I want to share with you. Number one, uh, we see that the spiritual leaders aren't doing their job. There's this guy that's been put in place at the temple. He's a priest. His job is to make sure that the temple is running right. And he decides with all of his power and all of his ability to, to utilize the temple for God's glory that he decides he's going to take a little something for himself. He gives his cousin or nephew or relative a hookup. He clears out one of the rooms in the temple and says, hey, you can stay here free of charge. That's not what the temple was made for, but he uses his, his pastoral priestly uh, abilities to get this sly hookup for his relative. 
A lot of us are turned off from church because there are leaders that are doing all kinds of crooked and wicked things in the church. They're stealing the money. Hello? They're taking advantage of stuff. They got gas cars for the church van, and they tell their wife to pull up and come get a gas bill as well. There's all kinds of crooked and wicked things that are taking place in the church because of bad leadership or bad decisions by leadership. And people are, what, turned off from church. This leader that had a responsibility, that was given a responsibility by the leader, Nehemiah, he comes in and he finds out that this leader he put in charge is taking advantage of the system. Man, what a horrible example of godly leadership. He got some power, and he decided to power trip. He got some power, and he decided to take advantage of the things God had given him, to take advantage of his position, to take advantage of what the Lord placed in him to handle with great care. And I believe if we could look at ourselves, sometimes we could say the exact same thing. And so Nehemiah confronts this priest, and he says, what are you doing? He takes all the stuff out of this room, and he, he purifies it and has it ready for what his God had intended it for. And then he looks around, and he says, where are the servants of the church? Where are the Levites? The Levites survived off of what the people gave them, and because they weren't getting into the temple anymore, they needed to eat. They were hungry. They needed to take care of their families, and so they left the temple to go back working the fields. That is not what God set them aside to do. And so now, now he has to come back and say, you leaders, did y'all catch that? He says, you, you priests, you didn't take care of God's house. And then he comes to the leaders and he says, you leaders, you people who are over these areas and these regions who are in charge of stuff, why weren't you doing your job? How did you become lackadaisical in the, in the tasks that you were given? How were you not handling it with diligence and with care? We left out singing hymns and songs and confessing our sins and talking about how we promised to serve the Lord. Now what are the leaders doing? They're lackadaisical. And their ability to lead. They're lackadaisical that God has entrusted them with something and they're not taking care of what God put them over. And if you and I could look at our own lives, there have been things that he has entrusted us with that we have become lazy with taking care of it diligently. The instruction of our children will let TV entertain them versus us. The spending time with our spouse, we'll let something else do that because I don't feel like doing that tonight. It says that they had these things as leaders and they let it slip through their fingers because they became, they became complacent. They thought they had arrived, they thought they were in a good spot, and they slowly let it decay and erode. And here comes Nehemiah. The priest isn't doing his job. The church isn't doing its job. The leaders who are supposed to be governing certain areas of life aren't doing their jobs. And it's funny because he just goes through and shows us life as it is. He goes from the church. He goes to the leaders in the community and in the area who are supposed to be supervising, taking care of things. And then he gets us really deep. Watch this. He goes through leaders some more in verses uh, 15 and 17. It reads like this. In those days I saw men of Judah treading out their wine press on the Sabbath. They were also bringing in grain, loading it on donkeys, and bringing their wine, grapes, figs, and all sorts of produce to Jerusalem to sell on the Sabbath. Some men from Tyre, who lived in Jerusalem, 
were bringing in fish of all and all kinds of merchandise. They were selling it on the Sabbath to the people of Judah, and in Jerusalem at that. So I confronted the nobles of Judah. Why are you profaning the Sabbath in this evil way? I asked. The men of Judah who promised, who swore in chapter 8 and chapter 9 that we would never sell or, or produce anything on, on Sunday. We're not going to be involved on our, on our day of worship, on our day of giving time to God, that we're going to do anything that requires money or finances on that day. It's our day of rest. It's our day of full commitment to the Lord. It says right there in the beginning, the men, the men, the husbands, the leaders are backpedaling for a quick buck. The heads of the household, the ones that set the tone before their, before their wives and before their children, these men have broken one of the most sacred things they're supposed to. What example can we set as husbands and men and leaders if we're willing to compromise for a buck? What example can we set for our children to, to see the value of money over the value of relationship? What example can we set as men if we're saying that, listen, we're willing to compromise in areas that we know we have no business compromising because it's going to bring us our own selfish good return? What example is that as a leader to the man who's the head of the household? that God gave authority to, that we'd rather chase the buck than the father. And then you see, and then you see that after he goes around, he says, look at these men who aren't doing their jobs, who aren't being the heads of the household, the leaders of their homes, who are not setting the example for their kids, setting the example for their wives. He says, these men, these, these men that aren't doing what they're supposed to is stepping up and being responsible in a way that doesn't just mean bring in the buck, but it also means to bow the knee before the father. He says, he says these men are, are, are the issue, but then he also says, the people that were buying the stuff were the people that were buying the stuff. Because as much as the men brought in, the people bent the knee to buy. Do y'all see that? But because the men didn't set the example and they corroded the process of what God called holy, the people fell in line with corroded processing and thinking and they themselves started to participate and that which they promised not to be a part of. From spiritual leadership to authoritative government leadership to men, to men and women who bought and participated. And Nehemiah jumps on the men and he jumps on the nobles. Again, he goes back to leadership and says, how do you let this happen? You're in charge. I put you here. Why are you not correcting things? Why are you not structuring things? Why are you not talking to people to get themselves together? He goes after leadership again. And this is probably 
an example of men's greed and our priorities being that we wanted what we want. And then he digs a little bit deeper in verse 23 and 24. Watch this, what he says to leadership. About the same time, I realized that some of the men of Judah had married women from Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. Furthermore, half their children spoke the language of Ashdod or some other people and could not speak the language of Judah at all. Chapter 9 and 10, we promise that we will never marry, marry outside of our own race. We promise in chapter 11, we will never marry anybody that's not part of, of our own race. Not because of racial issues, because we talked about this a few weeks ago. What you, the, the races of that time were very connected to what they worship. And so he said, get with people that worship the same thing that you worship. Your people worship God, worship that God. When you get married to other people outside of, of, of our race in this period of time, you are incorporating their religious practices into our religious practices and it's going to be a struggle. It's going to be an issue. And they promise we'll never do that. We'll teach our kids to do what's right. We'll love you. Remember, we talked about this just a few weeks ago. And so now here they are. He comes around. He sees that these guys are selling all their stuff, that they're making money on the Sabbath when they're not supposed to. Then he looks around again. He says, that ain't no Jewish girl. And he starts looking at clothes and looks at the attire, and he says, whoa, 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 this is not what we said we were going to do. It says that men chased after the finances, and they chased after their own lusts and their passions and desires, and they chased after their own flesh and grabbed whatever kind of woman they wanted to because they wanted to do whatever they wanted to. And it all starts with what? Leadership. God has called you and I to be leaders. You are royal priesthood. You are the ambassadors of Christ. You're the representation of Christ. And here we are compromising spiritual things. Where's the time going? I don't know. Spiritual things, we're compromising. I got church, but I also want to do my thing. And so I got a balance between church and my thing. I'll do my th All this compromise. And he comes back and he says, leaders, what are you guys doing? Remember I told you that Nehemiah is a what? A leader. And he points out what leaders shouldn't do. And then he does probably one of the worst things a leader can do when he sees that there needs to be correction. He introduces legalism. 19 and 22 read like this. Then I commanded that the gates of Jerusalem should be shut as darkness fell every Friday evening, not to be opened until the Sabbath has ended. I sent some of my own servants to guard the gates so that no merchandise could be bought, brought in on the Sabbath day. Then I commanded the Levites to purify themselves and to guard the gates in order to preserve the holiness of the Sabbath. So you have these gates that are open on the Sabbath day. The men of Jerusalem, or the men of Jerusalem are selling their products. And also at the same time, you have people that are coming in that are selling their products. And so what he decides to do is he decides to close the gates on the Sabbath day from sunup to sundown so that the people of, of Israel, the, the people can't go out and sell their stuff and that people that are coming in can't sell their stuff. And this sounds like a really good idea in, in, in concept because now he's handled the situation. You guys are with me? He's handled it. Boom. That's what we do a lot of times. We deal with handling the situation very quickly. We find a way that's going to be the absolute answer, and we shut the door. We close the door. He puts up guards around the gates so that people can't come around. There's this holy, this holy look that it has. But is this really 
us learning God's heart, or is this putting up some kind of parameter to stop us from doing what's wrong when the issue isn't stopping what's doing what's wrong, it's loving a God so that we won't do what's wrong? Did you catch that? And so what Nehemiah does is he says, I'm going to put a wall up to stop this from happening, but putting a wall up doesn't stop anything. I had a fr- I used to work I used to work security at the at the school I was director of security and 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 I would say listen I need my budget I got my budget I want more gates more cameras more whatever and he told me the the, the guy who's in charge of the whole school he says listen Brian I want you to understand I want you to get the the gates and chains only keep honest people honest and we can't buy everything I want a Fort Knox that school. I want security. I want cameras. I want doors. I want little spikes to shoot out of the ground. I want everything. And he said, Brian, locks and chains only keep honest people honest. If you want to get around it, you'll work and get around it. You want to get his email, his contact, you want his Facebook, his Snapchat, his every, you want every account he got. And they'll create another one. I had a kid right now. Want an Instagram account. Got it. But mom and dad need access to your Instagram. We need to see who you're talking to, what you're following, X, Y, and Z. Well, can I get another account? No. I want a private account so I can put on my funny stuff. No. Well, if you get a private account, we want it. Sure enough, July came. And these kids are so stupid. Because when you follow somebody, it suggests that you follow somebody. So I'm sitting there watching my phone, and this, hey, you may know this person, follow this person. And here's my kid with an account. And I confront this kid. And then I felt my anger rise, so I let my wife confront this kid. <laughs> and then we took the app off the phone, and we took the phone. I wanted to throw the phone. My wife was like, we're still paying on the phone. And I was like, I don't care about paying on the phone. I'm so mad. And as time went along, we gave the phone back to the kid, and we installed back the app. And we, under- we explained to this child, this is the parameters of what you can do. I got four kids. Three of them birthdays are from October to December. And about three days before the birthday came up for one of these kids, you might know this person came on my phone. The same kid. Has now opened up a third account. Bruh. I'm trying to keep it real with you. Rah. Is this for real? Chains and gates will only keep honest people honest. And so the legalistic mentality that 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 Nehemiah brings to the game is he says, listen, I'm just going to throw gates up, and I'm going to lock you out. 
And then he goes around, and he says, let me deal with these guys that are marrying these people. They have no business marrying. Watch verse 25. Look how he handles it in this legalistic mentality, this legalism he brings to the game. So I confronted them and called down curses on them. I beat some of them and pulled out their hair. I made them swear in the name of God that they would not let their children intermarry with the pagan people of the land. He goes to corporal and physical punishment and embarrassment and shame and ridicule. He whips them, he beats them, he pulls out their hair. He makes them swear to the God of the universe they'll never do it again. He probably shook them by the shoulders. Promise you'll never do it. If he's going to cheat, he's going to cheat, ladies. You can put them on Facebook. You can call grandma. You can call mom. You can call the aunties. You can tell everybody things. You can make it as difficult and ugly as you want. That ain't going to stop him. He may slow down for a while, but that's not the key. You can whip them. You can beat them. You can punish them. You can stick them in a closet. Don't do that. You can stick them in a closet. You can take their cell phone. You can do all kinds of stuff to those kids. You can do all those stuff to your husbands, to your wives. You can do. You can punish them. You can beat them. You can grab them and shake them at work and say, you don't know who you're messing with. I don't need this job. You can do everything you want to do. That's not the issue. As a leader, we want to find surefire ways to fix it. And God doesn't surefire way fix you. How does God bring you back to him time and time again? He loves you. As a leader, I want to fix it and I want to move on. If you're not doing your job as a leader, I got three strikes and you're out. I got to move to the next person that can do the leading. I need, I got to move forward. I got to go. As a horrible job as a leader. Because if we're God's royal priesthood, if we belong to him, if we're part of him, he doesn't say three strikes, you're dead. Boom, next person, come on up. It's not how he works. You're laughing. I wish you would work with some folks like that. I had a couple relatives I need up out of here yesterday. He doesn't work that way. He places love on us and corrects us what Nehemiah should have done. He should have operated in love. Psalms 51.10 says this. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. He should have said, let's, let's bring the people together and let's talk about these horrible decisions we're making and these horrible actions that we're taking. And let's get back to the baseline of what brought us here. Love. God's love to redeem all the people that he sent out from different various places because they didn't have love. And he, he used his love in these situations to bring us back to this city. Let's get back to love. Let's figure out why our hearts turn from God. Let's figure out what this thing is, that why it's not pumping and beating for God like it should. Let's get back to figuring out why we aren't in the position that we ought to be in. He says, create in me a clean heart, O God, that I might have a spirit that looks like and walks like and talks like and breathes like you. He doesn't say I'm going to punish you forever. He says, I want to deal with the heart because the heart is where I'll find the truth in you. The heart is where you'll live in truth. Nehemiah should have said, let me talk to my leaders about falling back in love with God. 
Nehemiah should have pulled people to the side and said, where is your heart right now? Do you love the money more than the maker right now? Do you love the bells and the whistles versus the worship of the Lord right now? Do you love your Starbucks and Dunkin' Donuts more than God right now? It's Christmas time. I got to show off. I'm going to buy all these presents for people that ain't going to fit it next year because I want them to know that I love them more than I can bring it into the house of the Lord right now. I want to be big and important and powerful. So I'm going to drag my wife or my husband to every stupid function so they can see I'm the most perfect husband and perfect wife in the whole world. And while your husband and wife and kids are suffering because you're working 70,000 hours a week. It's only 168, but you found a way to get 172. How'd you do it? Where's your heart? He says, if you want to meet the God of the universe, if you want to get back to passionate love, he says, I want you to check your heart. He says, not only do I want you to check your heart, I want you to check your prayer life. Watch this. Pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. It's like the first prayer they teach you in Christian 101, right? Like all the way from childhood, like, you know, take sections of the, of the Lord's Prayer and make this your prayer. That your will would be done. Not my own, not my own wants, not my own selfish desires, not my own selfish passions. Let your will be done. God, let what you want be done beyond what I want, how I want it, when I want it. Let your will be done. And Father, bless me not to sin, not to, not to fall short of who you are. Let these words echo in my heart that it, would, that it would be reflective in my actions. Let me not sin against you, even though I may want it, even though uh, the me factor is big right now. Let you be bigger than the me factor. Let me be humble when I am full of hatred. For, let me forgive those who have hurt me like you forgive me. Let me for, be forgiven like you have allowed me to forgive others how you desire to forgive me and how you still desire to forgive those that haven't even fallen into your grace yet, haven't accepted your grace. Let me be that person. Let that be my prayer and my motivation and my action before I do. I was coming into church today, and I cut a dude off. I didn't mean to. It was his fault. He was in my blind side. I didn't see him. And I cut him off, and I kind of saw it right as my bumper, like I saw him in my mirror at the last minute. And it was one of those like, ah, I'm sorry, and I spit up. And I felt bad about that the whole car ride the rest of the way here. I want to feel remorse when I do bad things. And I want to ask for forgiveness when I do something that's not right. If my attitude is, well, watch out, buddy. <laughs> oh, well. Miss the mark. I want to get back to a place where my prayer life reflects that I want to be better with him. 
He says, your love should be reflective in your prayers. Your love should be reflective in your life. John 13, excuse me, 15, verse 13. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. I want to live a life where I'm giving of me to a point where it may not mean I'm taking a bullet for you, but man, you see that I care about you. The pastor didn't call me this week. Doesn't mean I don't care about you. Pastor didn't call me the week before. I don't care. You know, I mean, I care about you. But when I come up to you in church and say, "How are you doing today? How's life?" I want there to, I want you to feel that this is not me getting paid to care about you. It's that I legitimately care. I want you to be able to call me, and I look at my book and say, I don't know where I'm going to fit this person in today. This is my next seven days. Can you fit? Can we, we do a phone call? Can we, can we do brisket? Can we talk a little bit and meet for a second? I want to be that person that I can lay down a part of my time so that you can be successful as a person. Can you show that same kind of love and compassion that you can lay an aspect of life down? I know you're busy. I know you got four kids. I know you got stuff coming up. Can you lay down your life for 20 minutes? Here's another aspect of how we grow love to be, to be everything God desires us to be. Galatians 6, 1 and, tw- 1 and 2. Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. Share each other's burdens, and in this way, obey the law of Christ. Says, if I see that you're hurting, if I see that you're wounded, if I see that you're affected, I see if you're dealing with sin, I want to come beside you and I want to encourage you to be great. I don't want to talk about you. I don't want to start a prayer group so we can blab about you. A couple chuckles, y'all get it. I don't want to put your business out in the air. I want to get with people that honestly want to uh, see you succeed and grow. Nehemiah, I wish he had taken the time to say, listen, we got leaders that are out of place. Uh, we got other people that's out of place. You marrying folk, you got no business marrying. Some of y'all want to get rid of people just like they did back then. Those relatives marrying people they have no business marrying. Or dating folk they have no business dating. Hmm. Be quiet on that one. And grab these folks and bring them along and say, listen, I'm not going to beat you up because of who you're dating. I just want to remind you that you are who you said you are, that you belong to a God of the universe, that you serve a God of the universe. Your actions should be reflective in who you pick should be reflective of who you love. Come on in and get something to eat. Let's talk. That's love. Not to humiliate you or throw small jabs every time you're in the conversation to try and get your point across. Hey, jabbers. You a jabber? Love you. <laughs> you know those jabbers. How's your day? It's been great. It would be better if you left that guy alone. <laughs> oh, my God. What was that? How are you doing? How you doing? Well, I'm doing great. Look how you gained a little weight. Well, I'm working on it. Are you working hard? <laughs> what the hell was that? Ow. He says, we want to correct... With love, we want to correct and address sin in a way that lets people know we care about them. 
Matthew 8, 15 through 17 reads like this. If another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. But if you are unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again, so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. If the person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church. Then if he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. Wow. Short story. Follow this when you got problems with people. I want to talk to you, not talk to three people, about how we can deal with you. I love the first part. Nehemiah walks right up to the leaders and says, what are you guys doing? Blasphemy. Wickedness. Then he beats them up. That part you don't do. He confronts them. And then he should have pulled them to the side and said, let's talk about what's going on. Let's get better. Let's figure this out. Let's get a plan in place. Whenever I have a person that's ever like, yo, pastor, I don't like so-and-so, so-and-so. I'm leaving. Wait. Put your money in the office. Like, no, wait, wait. <laughs> Write a check before you go. I don't like it. Anyway, no, wait. Let's talk about it. What's wrong? What's bothering you? Give it three months. Let's give it some time to work. That's relationship. Let's talk about it. Let's work it out. Let's grow. Let's develop. Let's see what we can put in place to make things more successful and comfortable for you. Let's do all that. Your marriage, your conversations, your relationships, let's work on a plan to get better versus a plan to get you out of here. That's real relationship. That's real love. Here's the last one. For accountability, Matthew 6, 16. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Confess your sins to each other. You guys follow along? Imagine there's a little ball. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be, what's that? That is not someone cut me with a knife on my arm, heal. It says nothing about physical healing. It says confess your spiritual sinful issue to one another, praying that you may be what? Spiritually healed. It's in us confessing our faults before a holy God and with people that are on the same accord to see you grow and be successful, that there is healing that takes place. This process is done through love, not through pulling out hair. This process where there's healing takes place doesn't mean that you firewall and security wall every single thing. That doesn't change much. It just makes it more difficult for people to find ways to do what they want to do. But when there is confession and there's truth and there's surrender, it says that we are spiritually healed where we do not want to be involved in sin again. It says there's healing from the pain that sin brings to us. There's healing that we would grow and be successful. There's healing that I'd rather do right and live right than be hurt spiritually again. That's when we get it. Do you guys remember in the olden days, 
there was a thing called a cigarette lighter in the car. Do you remember that thing? All, all my teens were like, <laughs> there was a little knob with a cigarette and a little smoky thing on it, right? With a little picture on there. And you would, boop, you remember? And it would heat up, and after a while, go, boop, and you could take it, and you could light your cigarette up. You guys remember this, right? Mary Wade, that's my mama. I, I would go to press it, she'd say, don't press it, it's hot. Boop, don't press it, it's hot. And one day she walked into a highs. Does anybody remember a highs? They were like 7-Eleven, but the downgraded version. It's highs. Remember big green sign, little, what was that, a horse, a deer? What was that thing running on that? It was a horse, whatever it was. It was like three of them. <laughs> so she goes in the highs to get us ice cream. Us is me and her. She gets out her little yellow bumblebee car, and Brian Wade at six, Grabbed it. It was red. Remember, it had that swirl in there, and it was red. Oh. Ah! She comes back with ice cream, throws the ice cream down. This whole thing is swollen red and purple, and it's got crossed. It's got the zigzag marks on my finger. <laughs> zigzag marks. Man, that was hot. I'm six years old, and I'm scared of cigarette lighters to this day. <laughs> Everything you can plug your little adapter in to charge up your phone, I'm always like, ah. Zeph, you plug it in. <laughs> because that moment hurts so much, I never want to do it again. We should be in love with God so much that when we sin, we recognize it, and it hurts us so much, I never want to be involved in that again. I want to love God so much. We should want to love God so much that even after we've sinned and we got away with it, nobody else knew about it, we did it, it hurts us so much because we recognize how good and how great He is. Even if I might want to do it, I love Him so much, I never want to be a part of it again. That's the relationship that we should hunger and yearn for, that we should desire for, that we should cry for, that we should hope for, that we should want, where I don't want to hurt ever again spiritually, that I want no parts of it. And if we get to that point in life, we will have such a relationship with God that it doesn't matter who's around it doesn't matter what's going on. It's too sacred to touch. Hey, Marty, you write the checks in the church. Jay can write checks too, right? Can the pastor write a check on the church? Who made that rule? Me. You weren't here when I did it. <laughs> I love God so much, I don't even want to be tempted to write myself a check. Marty. Who's got the credit cards to the church? Don't tell nobody. Do I have a credit card to the church? You know why? Because I don't want to be tempted. It's not legalism. I love God so much, I'd rather put things in place that I don't get myself in trouble. 
are you in love with God so much that you're willing to just say, you take, it's your will, your way. I, I want you to have it so that I'm not involved in it. You ain't never going to find a pastor scandal up here with me when it comes to money. Because <laughs> I can't touch it. Now, Stone Marty, if he can touch it, I won't be on the news. Nope. I want to be in a love like that where I just, I'd rather you have it, God. I'd rather have other people be in charge. I am so, I want to be in a place where I can give it to people and say, listen, you govern this thing because I don't want to be involved with governing something in a way that could lead me to fall down a path. I want to be that in love with God. I don't ever want to be so arrogant that it's me, it's my way, my will. Nah, everybody get a shot. Everybody come on in here and jump on in and keep me on point so that I can do my job. Have the passcode, have the whatever, have the access, have the view. Check it out. Be a part of it. Be involved. I want to be that in love with God. Here's your takeaway for today. Moving forward as a person means becoming a loving leader that does not live by legalism. I'll say it again. Moving forward as a person means becoming a loving leader that does not live by legalism. I don't want to lead or I don't want to, I want to discipline my kids by rule, 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 rule. There are rules, but I want to show you why we have them. I want you to hold conversation with me about why we have them. Because I said so was a great answer in the 80s, the 70s and the 60s. Because I said so. Why? Because I said so is why I said so. But even everything that you read in Scripture, it looks like it says, because I said so. If you read a little bit deeper, it then begins to explain why he said so. Are you, are you with me? Do not steal. And then there's scriptures about what happens when we take and why we take and what it does to us and what it means. There's a breakdown of it. Because I said so is a great answer to shut a kid up, but it ain't necessarily the answer that refers to the reason why we have this in place. I open discussion for our children to talk because I want them to learn. Not to be locked down. I want you to learn why we do it. Why do we go to church? Because. X, Y, and Z. Why can't I have my own private account? Little person, you can have your own private account because it's my job to protect you that you don't get in conversations with people you don't have no business getting conversations with and that you don't get tricked to send pictures of you or to receive pictures from them. It's my job to talk to you and parent you and govern over you in a way that you learn responsibility, that you don't get preyed upon by no grown, sneaky man or woman. It's my job to, to talk to you in a way that you conduct yourselves in a way that shows off excellence. Doesn't mean you're going to do it, but I need to explain it that you get it. The essence of being a great leader is being able to sit down and talk to people and love people. Because you pay the bills in your house, Mr. Doesn't make you the Lord of nothing. You 
because you're in charge of the finances doesn't mean that you get to desire and tell everybody what they can and cannot buy. We work the budget together. Hello. And you can't go to the party, girl, because I need to explain to you what I don't like about the party. And maybe you can talk me into going to the party. And you, can, you might talk me into you going to the party, but guess what? Then we're going to set up extra parameters for when you go. You're going to be here at 10. You're going to get out at 10.03. This is your outfit. When you get out the car, unzip your jacket. Let me see what the outfit looks like. Turn around. You was in your book bag. Up. Oh, ah, gotcha. And I'm going to give you grace to maneuver and operate because God gives us grace to maneuver and operate. And he expects the heart to draw back in and say, this is a point where danger is. I need to pull back. We need to teach love, not legalism. If you're going to be a leader in your household, in your marriage with your kids, at your church, a leader over yourself. Moving forward means becoming a loving leader that does not live by legalism. As the band comes up, let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for the lessons that you give us in your scriptures. We thank you for these moments where your message may be tough, but it is true that there is joy and great salvation in recognizing where you desire to change our hearts. We thank you for how you desire to shape us and mold us to be your men and women. How you take tough moments to reveal how tender you are towards us. That you desire life change in us. For all the wrong that we do, you love us instead of beat us. Instead of our, what we deserve, you love us. You give us days like this where it's a chance to be better. It's a chance to humble ourselves to you. In the middle of all the busyness, you take moments to carve out, to touch our hearts. Father, sanctify us. Let us connect with people that want to walk with us to do right. Fix our homes. Let us fall in love with you again. Let us fall in love with you more passionately. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.